Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and glad you're joining me today for this episode. This is episode 85, May 25th, 2018, and today we're going to talk about protecting plants in the heat of summer. And um, this came from, this is a question that uh, came in from uh, Randy. Randy asks, what are some strategies for protecting veggie plants in the heat of summer? We have a lot of 95 plus degree days here, and it would be nice to hear some new strategies of keeping plants shaded or cooler uh, to improve production. And uh, I agree that is, that can be a real issue. Um, I mean, even here in Indiana, we get a lot of 90 plus days uh, through the summer and uh, plants suffer in that kind of weather. I mean, it, it hurts them. And uh, some of the problems that can occur from heat stress plants, of course, are, are withering, you know, from excessive sun and lack of water. Um, really lack of production. Uh, when uh, plants are in a real high heat situation, a lot of times the blooms will fall off and uh, they'll go they'll go into this um, kind of survival mode. The blooms will fall off. They won't produce any um, fruit and uh, they'll start to bolt and put off seed. And and this is, this is kind of a survival mode for a plant. They'll just, um, all they're thinking about is trying to produce the next batch of plants. So they're going to basically just uh, try to not put anything off uh, food-wise that's going to produce, that's uh, going to use their resource, their water as a resource, and they're going to put off seed so they can try to reproduce themselves. And, uh, and again, it's all just a survival uh, a stage of a plant trying to survive a, a stressful situation. And it, it, it's not good for the gardener. It's not good for the homesteader because, uh, well, we're not getting food, and what little food there is usually gets bitter and not tasting very well because of the bolting. So we want to prevent that if we can. And the first thing you can do is kind of in your pre-planning. But when, you, when before you ever plant your garden, try to pick uh, heat-tolerant varieties. A lot of uh, varieties of each plant, um, there are varieties of that plant that are more uh, suited for heat. Uh, a lot of them are hybrid. Uh, sometimes you can find heirlooms that are more suited to the heat. But a lot of times you might have to go with a, with a hybrid of that. Uh, now, a lot of folks get confused confused about the whole GMO and hybrid thing. Hybrid is not hybrid is not GMO. It is more of a natural uh, selection. It's just not been kept completely pure as an heirloom. Heirlooms all ultimately a lot of them were hybrids at one point that have just been continued on for many many years and they become uh after several generations they actually become an heirloom. So and it just kind of adapts a plant for certain conditions. Uh, and heat tolerance is one of those conditions. Um, but something you asked about is shading. And absolutely. This is something that a lot of times you have to, uh, you have to do with certain plants. Now you can do this naturally, um, by planting lower heat tolerant, um, plants next to higher, taller heat tolerant plants. For example, I have lettuce, um, and spinach and things like that that I'm growing and I will always try to plant those things to the uh, I always try to design and this, this again comes into the planning uh, process of your of your garden every 
spring, early spring, and maybe even in the winter when you're planning out your garden, you should be thinking about where you're going to put things. And uh, of course, the the evening sun is always your hottest time of the day, the hottest, uh, what you want to guard from the most. So when that sun's setting in the west, you want to kind of guard your your lower heat tolerant plants from that sun. So I'll try to maybe grow some tomatoes or some peppers or something that's higher heat has a higher heat tolerance to the west, the south and the west specifically uh, of those plants. If I'm going to plant them in in close proximity or um, just something even taller, you know, I may even have trees to the west and south and west of those plants um, that are shading it out from from the evening sun. And protecting those plants. Now that's the natural process, and, and and that works really well, and that takes some planning. But you can also use um, some uh, products. I mean, you could actually take shade cloth and put some stakes in the ground, some posts in the ground, and put up some shade cloth along the side of a of a, of a row to the west uh, of a row, and get it high enough to where you know, say you're still wanting to get you know six to eight hours of sunlight so at, you can gauge that just right make that shade cloth tall enough that we're at about six hours of sunlight it starts dropping behind that shade cloth and and it reduces the amount of sunlight beating down on those plants and you can stretch out uh shade cloth's not real expensive and you can stretch that out for a long ways and just put some posts and attach it to the posts and standing it stand it up to the west of your of your plants and it would do a great job of shading now I have such a small place here that I just tried to set my place up in a natural state where I have trees in certain locations that will shade out certain things. I, I try to create microclimates. I actually have a couple ponds I've put in and I have tr- I have trees and I have tall plants. I have some bushes that I've, I've arranged in certain areas and those things shade out other things. Now, w- a couple of problems with that is it does reduce the amount of crop rotation you can do because when you're when you're using permanent things like that, like trees and bushes, um, and your house and, and whatever things that you already have there that you're using to shade off for an evening sun. Um, of course you want to always put those same kind of low heat tolerant varieties in that area. So I do get less crop rotation by doing that. So I have to be more on guard for pest pressure and, and disease, uh, pressures and things like that. So, um, you know, it does limit you in some ways when you do that. That's where putting up temporary structures like shade cloth and things in some ways are, are better, especially if you have a, a larger place. Um, but that's one of the things you can do. But now another thing that is a big problem is not just the sun beating down on the plant itself. It's beating down on the ground and it's basically evaporating the moisture from the ground, which in turn is is hurting your plant. I've seen things do really, really well in 90 degree plus temperatures if the ground is staying moist now how do you keep the ground moist there's a couple different ways you can do that you can do that with cover crops um you know anything that's low i use a lot of natural cover crops uh purslane is a is a cover crop i actually use it's it's most people consider that a weed i love the stuff it's one of the best tasting weeds i've ever eaten and uh we use it in salads i use it in soups it's got like a, a thickening um aspect to it to a soup i love it and uh, it, it is again one of my favorites but i had that stuff growing all over the place and i let it grow and you can actually buy the seed you can go i think johnny seed and a few of the other i know a few of them sell actual seeds to purslane and like i said it's one of the best tasting weeds you'll ever eat i think and uh, i actually plant that or have that growing and i let it grow and i kind of spread it around and walk it around certain plants and it helps retain moisture 
in the ground because that sun's not hitting the the soil directly. Um, the cover crop is kind of covering it now. Some issues with that. If you're not, if you don't live in a place that gets a lot, a lot of water, or you don't have a, an irrigation system set up, those things are also competing for the water in the ground. So if you're not getting enough water, they're going to take up some of that water and actually pull some of that from your plants. Um, not you know, not make as much available for the plants. But if you live in a place like I live, where you get a lot of rain, but it's just hot. We get plenty of rain here. It's just hot, you know? And when we don't get rain, I make sure I water really well. Uh, cover crops can work really well. You can use it pretty much anything that's got a little bit of a broadleaf, but yet crawls across the ground, stays very low, lower than the plants you're trying to grow. So, uh, like I said, purslane's my, my go-to around here. We have it in several places. Now, I do a lot of chop and drop, too, which is mulch. So, using mulch is a big thing. I use my comfrey like crazy. I chop it constantly. I'm dropping it around plants. I'm keeping the ground covered with comfrey. I'm pulling up uh, dandelion leaves, purslane. I do a lot of chop and drop. Anything that's getting out of hand, I just chop it and I drop it around things. And I keep the ground covered with those things. But you can use actual mulch. I mean, you can go get some, some, uh, I would not use, you could use dyed mulches. I'm always leery about the dyes. I, I don't know a lot about what they're using. I guess if I know that it's a it's a very you know it's a safe mulch uh, dyed mulch I think it looks good I used I do use some colored colored mulches around uh, some of my paths and around some of my flower gardens but around my plants I use just plain shredded um, uh, wood mulch and uh, I I put some of that down around some things so that you know again you're you're covering the ground you're keeping the the sun from beating down the ground and if you live in a place where you're not getting enough rain a mulch is probably better than a cover crop because of course the mulch is not competing for the um the the, the water in the ground uh so you're covering it up and it's retaining the moisture in that soil and and your plants are going to do a lot better if they can if the ground is staying cool and moist You'd be surprised how how well the plants can actually endure the heat itself. Um, not all plants, but a lot of plants can endure it a lot better. So you can use ground cover and mulches. Now you can also use commercial ground covers. They they actually sell it's a it's a plastic type material that I'm not even sure what it's made out of, but you I don't use it. Um, but you roll it out and and actually you roll it out over a, an area and you actually cut holes in it and plant your plants in in you know through it and it's covering up everything. It's actually a weed barrier, but it works as a ground cover retaining moisture in the ground and uh helps with that as well and it, and plus you don't have the weeds which is another benefit to to cover crops and mulch as well when you're using that so there there are some great methods for one shading your your um plants and two uh, shading the ground in other words covering the ground to retain the moisture in the in the soil itself now there also also are some alternatives to traditional growing if you're in extremely harsh climates and say you don't have the shade and it's going to take you a while to maybe put things up or grow things tall enough or you're just the, the setup isn't right for you. Um, maybe you consider growing in a couple alternative uh, methods and, and one would be hydroponics, another would be aquaponics, and yet another one would be wicking beds. Now hydroponics uses water. You're growing things directly in water uh, and some, some kind of a grow media. And uh, now you're putting a chemical uh, nutrients directly in the water to help uh, supply nutrients to your plants. And that's one method. There are several different kinds of setups for this, and it works really, really well. I'm not a huge fan of it. It's just not 
to me, it's not natural. Uh, and you know, I'm okay with people doing it, but me myself, I want to, I want to use more natural, um, uh, sustainable methods that kind of work themselves. Hydroponics, I have to give input. I'm having to put something in the water to supply the nutrients for the, for the, um, the plants. Now, you know, we, we all say we do that even for a garden, we're adding, you know, amendments and things like that. But eventually I, I hope to build systems. My goal is to always build systems that are kind of self-sustainable, like the chop and drop I was talking about a minute ago. I'm chopping off comfrey. I'm chopping off all these plants and trees and things. I'm dropping those things on the ground. The nutrients are going back to the ground, you know, and, and you get this natural kind of rotating uh, uh, circle of life, so to speak. And, and, and it works really well. And hydroponics is a, is a me putting, something in water to constantly be be growing plants applying nutrients for plants not as huge of a fan of that now aquaponics on the other hand i am a, a huge fan of i'm going to be working on an aquaponic system i picked up a, a, two, a two 275 gallon uh, ibc tanks just last weekend so i'm excited about getting on to work on those pretty soon and i'm actually going to make uh, an aquaponics setup um here real soon and i'll be talking about that i'm sure on the podcast but uh so aquaponics I'm a fan of, and that's using fish, fish waste, to create the nutrients for the plants. And you get a rotation of water. You're growing the plants in a grow media again, but the fish are supplying the nutrients uh, for for the, the plants. So, again, it's a, it's a great alternative, and it works really well in, in, in really hot weather because you have this constant flow of cool water being, uh, you know, around the roots of the plants and it's helping to to uh, sustain that plant by keeping it cooler and and plus just the water is creating a, a, a kind of a microclimate which is really keeping things just a lot cooler a lot healthier and uh, you're able to grow a lot of things in an aquaponic system in, in a in a really hot climate that you wouldn't be able to just pop into the ground and grow so it works really well also i said wicking beds wicking beds can be done with hydroponics or aquaponics, but they can also just be done without any of that. I mean, you can actually just build a wicking bed and put the water in it yourself and just maybe say once or twice a week, go out there and you fill basically the bottom of the, um, the wicking bed with water, water, it keeps that, uh, that soil moist. It keeps the plants moist. And it actually, again, creates a little bit of a microclimate because you have that cooler water being held underneath the soil. It's, it's helping to create a, a sort of microclimate for the plants above it. And it works really well for hot weather as well. So there's some alternatives to traditional growing in harsher climates that that are pretty well known to work really well. So I hope that gives you some ideas of some things you do. Not ideal for every situation. If you're growing long rows of crops and, you know, some of these things can get really uh, complicated. But that's why I'm a big proponent of permaculture and uh, and creating microclimates and such like that because it does work really well. For things like this, when you're in an extreme um, place uh, with with just any kind of extreme weather, heat or cold, even permaculture can have its advantages. So I hope that helps you. I hope it gives you a few ideas and I hope you can make some of these ideas work in your situation. And uh, if you have any more questions, you can uh, you can uh, call them or text them in. And by the way, um, you can submit a question for this new format of podcast. You can send your questions to ask at smalltownhomestead.com, or you can call or text in your questions. It's to our Google voicemail number, which is 
1949. And you can just submit as many questions as you want, as often as you want, and I'll try to get as, to as many of them as I can. I hope you're liking the new format. But, uh, you know, that that's how you get on a show like this. That's how you ask your questions. And I'm hoping we can keep this going for a long time and put out multiple shows per week. I enjoy it. I can go through them a lot quicker, and it's a little bit easier to do the podcast, and I feel like we answer a lot more questions and cover a whole lot more topics this way. So I do have a recommendation for you uh along these uh, lines of growing in a more harsh climates. And that's a YouTube channel I want to tell you about. It's a learn organic growing at growing your greens. And uh, this guy, he's done thousands of videos, uh, growing your greens. I think it used to be just growing your greens, but I think he changed it to learn organic growing at growing your greens. But uh, I put a link to that YouTube channel in the show notes because it's really good. I think you'd like his stuff. He's, a, <laughs> he's, He's kind of funny. I mean, he's, you got to kind of, you get used to the guy cause he's, I don't know. He's, he's different, you know, but I like him, you know, he's, he's pretty kind of down to earth and, um, uh, got a good sense of humor, but he's a little different. You know, he's not overly professional sometimes, which I like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not either. So <laughs> we kind of relate on that way. Um, but he's, uh, he's growing in very hot climates and he's growing a lot of food and he's doing it in a really small space, which I think is cool. He always, I mean, he goes to some different locations a lot of times and does his videos, but at his place, he's growing in a pretty compact urban setting and he's growing a ton of food. So check him out at Growing Your Greens. I think it's a good YouTube channel. Uh, you learn a lot from that guy. And he's doing it in a, in a pretty harsh climate, but you wouldn't know it to look at his backyard because everything is flourishing. So, and he, he would grow, he grows a lot of things up. So he's creating shades, which I, I guess I didn't mention when you're not just growing taller vegetables, but you can also trellis things up, right? I've actually grew a lettuce behind a trellis of cucumbers, you know? So the, the trellis and the cucumbers or shading the, the lettuce, things like that. So he does a lot of that. He's growing a lot of things up trellises, shading the things beside him. And uh, you can learn a lot from that guy. And I've, I've took a lot of what he does and, and implemented it in my backyard as well. So uh, let's go on to our homestead life segment. This is the segment where each episode I share something that's better in my life because of homesteading. And uh, this week I just want to share that, you know, I've been eating a lot of lettuce and I've been eating a ton of strawberries from the garden these last couple of weeks because that's what my garden's putting out right now. We're, we have a lot of lettuce and a lot of strawberries. And I've really been enjoying the peace of mind that I have about my family eating things that are safe for us to eat. Um, there was a recent scare about romaine lettuce uh, being sold having E. coli. And of course, you know, uh, uh, conventionally grown strawberries are actually part of that dirty dozen uh, what we call the dirty dozen, the ones that are really the worst for retaining pesticide residues, even after being washed. Like you can't really get all the pesticide off of them when you're buying strawberries in the store. They're, they're some of the worst for that. And here, I don't use anything. And um, we're growing completely organically. And I can go out there and I can eat strawberries and lettuce right from my um, garden. And I don't have to worry about E. coli and I don't have to worry about pesticide residues. And, you know, I'm out there with my grandson and I'm watching him. You know, I'm after picking strawberries with him the other day, and he's just plopped down on the gravel, and he's eating strawberries right out of the bowl. And, you know, of course, I'd prefer that they were washed. But, you know, I'm not freaking out. I'm not panicking because he's doing what I did when I was a kid. We just went out to the garden, and we ate stuff right out of the garden. You know, I plucked cherry tomatoes, and, um, and, and you know, I'm eating strawberries and whatever right out of the garden. And there's nothing to worry about. Yeah, it's probably a little dirt, but it doesn't really hurt. Uh, you know, there's nothing dangerous there. There's no E. coli. There's no, there's no, um, uh, pesticides or herbicides being sprayed around, or there's no, there's no problems with that. And 
there's just a great peace of mind in that. And, and it's just something that's better in my life because of the homesteading life. And I hope that you can say you enjoy the same thing with your garden. So there it is, folks. Uh, that's today's episode. Uh, we always appreciate those who uh, support this show by joining our Homestead Forum membership community. If you want to learn more about that, go to thehomesteadforum.com. That's thehomesteadforum.com. There's a link in the show notes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good stuff there. We're putting out extra podcasts there. There's videos there. There's a couple courses we're working on there. I do a weekly a live chat there. There's also uh, product discounts for some other things like Comfrey and some other stuff, uh, some eBooks and, and some courses through other places. You guys would really enjoy being a part of that community. And it does a lot to support this podcast and the other things we're doing. So uh, go check out thehomesteadforum.com and look into being a member of that, uh, that membership. It's a great community. Always appreciate the iTunes reviews and reviews wherever you listen. Thanks a lot for that. And the show notes for this episode can be found at smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 85. Thanks for joining me, folks. Happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm.